Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. In this week's episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, Ethan Gar and I chat with Georgia Vidler, former head of product at Canva, which makes it easy for people to create surprisingly great designs. So their most recent valuation was $6 billion, which probably makes them Australia's fastest growing startup at this point. And Ethan, I have to admit, Georgia blew my mind in this conversation. It's uh, probably one of my favorite uh episodes that we've, we've had today. Um, what did you find most insightful about the conversation? Yeah, Ken was a rocket ship and she was absolutely awesome. I just think she had a really unique perspective on product-driven growth based on her holding both marketing and growth roles in her past. And it was really interesting to see how she balances both gut and data to really shape the Canva product. Yeah, I, I thought it was actually interesting as well that um, when I asked her about that journey from marketing to uh, product that she had seemed surprised that uh, that I was surprised that she'd gone on that journey. And she, she seemed to think that most marketing people are pretty good product people. Um, in my experience in Silicon Valley, I see typically uh, product people having more of a technical background. So it was, it was interesting to get her feedback on that, of that, that she thinks they should have more of a marketing background. Yeah. I think people, as they listen to this episode, are going to be really surprised. They're going to find the episode really refreshing because it's probably a lot of things that you wouldn't think. Um, and it makes me wonder if Canvas success is just partly because it's not a Silicon Valley startup. It's such a pleasure to use that it's clear that the product team is just really user-oriented in their approach. Yeah. It's, um, it's amazing how much great product can play a role in growth. And uh, it, it actually reminds me of our conversation yesterday with, with Wes and Romley. So two of the guys that are really leading the product-led growth movement and um, we, so Ethan and I had a, had a great conversation yesterday where we talked about how growth hacking compares to product-led growth, where are the similarities, where are the differences. And um, we fortunately recorded the conversation. So um, <laughs> we will put a link on the uh, homepage of breakoutgrowth.net, um, maybe even fully embed the video there and give you a chance to check that out. And I encourage you to look at that. Yeah, it was so much fun to do that. And I, I learned a lot just going through the process of chatting with those guys and with you. So I think our, our audience will love it. Perfect. So in the meantime, we should uh, jump into our conversation with Georgia Vidler. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, we're we're really excited to have you on. You're just uh, coming out of such an awesome, uh, I'm sure, journey that you that you had with Canva, and we'll we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, also wanted to welcome my co-host Ethan Gar. Welcome, Ethan. Hey, Sean. Hey, Georgia. Good to be with you guys. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, d- I, like looking at Canva, but just just more more generally uh, at at your journey, it's really interesting that you you started your career in marketing. It looks like, and maybe I didn't even look far enough back. <laughs> but, that is um, right. Okay, and then and then growth, and then eventually uh, you were leading product at Canva. What what was it that kind of led you to make that transition to product? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think. In a way as well. I, I have I've found that marketing people tend to be good product people. I don't know if you guys have found the same thing, but I found a lot of similarities between the two 
um, kind of roles. But yeah, from very early on, to be honest, I wanted to be in product. I um, started, uh, you know, years before I joined Canva, actually, I was working at an incubator in here in Sydney. So this was back in maybe 2011, 2012. And it was um, kind of mind-blowing to me. I hadn't heard of the concept of startups before. I didn't know what this whole world entailed. And I kind of entered this place where there were all these you know, young people who were just like me, you know, trying to kind of change the world. Um, and that was a very, very cool thing for me to see. And I kind of realized the impact you could have with, you know, comparatively little effort when you're building products in the online space. Um, and so I kind of realized at that point, I really, really, really wanted to build products. Um, and funnily enough, at the same time, Canva was kicking off. So around that time, I think Canva had I think they'd launched a kind of early access page where you could, you know, get your get your URL and not much else. Um, and then about a year later, they launched. And I, again, was just mind blown by this product. Um, I was in marketing and it was a tool for marketers back then. Right. It still is, yeah. you know, hugely yeah. for marketers. So Indispensable for marketers, but it's gone well beyond that now. Yeah, exactly. So um, I knew at that point I just desperately wanted to work at Canva in product, um, but obviously had no skills in product. So I had to play the long game and try and get in on the marketing side and then eventually uh, try and make my way into the product side, which luckily, luckily I did. Oh, right. Awesome. And did it, was it something that you really had to make the case on, on product or was, was it like you kind of got tapped for it or like how, yeah, how did you have the credibility to make that? Move? <laughs> yeah, it was a combination. It was a combination of making the case and kind of right, right, the right time, right idea kind of thing. Um, you know, early on I was working on, yeah, growth and, and international growth, especially at Canberra. And they really, really, really wanted to invest in that. So even though I was kind of saying, Hey, can I, <laughs> do you mind if I move over to products? They're like, no, 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 we need you on growth. Like right. on that because that, that seems to be doing well. So eventually it kind of got to a stage where, you know, international growth got big enough that I'd hired in enough people and um, kind of had some capacity and then put my hand up and said, how about now do you think I could do a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit of product? And, and they kind of gave me a little, yeah, olive, olive branch and, and I, got, I got a bit of experience, which was cool. Speaking of putting my hand up, I just want to put my hand up and, and uh, ask a quick question um, just for yeah. any of our audience who's not really familiar with Canva. Sean and I love it. We, we actually use it to make our promos for this podcast. Oh, cool. Um, but I was, could you just give, you know, maybe generally describe it for our audience just for anyone who's not really familiar with what Canva is and does? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Canva, I would say, is a tool that turns anyone into a designer. Um, so you can have, you know, zero experience in design and make something pretty beautiful in almost no time at all. Um, and I think probably on a more meta level, what a lot of people don't realize is that Canva was created to kind of be the 21st century version of tools that you use every day, you know, Word and PowerPoint, but that are not fit for purpose. Um, you know, a lot of people are using these tools for things they were not created for and they end right. up creating stuff that just looks, you know, pretty terrible. Um, and yeah, so I, Canva, I would be guilty of doing that so in PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see it all the time, people making yeah, posts yeah. in PowerPoint and stuff like that. Sure. And I think, yeah, that was the idea was to kind of be as ubiquitous as, as you know, a type of a, a word, but um, coming at it from a new angle. Yeah, I think it actually gives you superpowers as a layman non-designer. So it's, it's definitely a really cool product. And I, I, I think our audience, if they haven't checked it out, will really enjoy it. Yeah. yeah, the the, yeah. the funny thing with Canva for me is that I I kind of played around with it 
when I, when I'd first met the team, like six years ago, um, on a, on a, on a trip to Sydney, somebody that's like, what, what startups are interesting to get to know? And so I met, uh, Melanie, the CEO and some of the, some of the team. And then, um, but I, I, I kind of didn't really have that much of a use case for it at that time. But what got me back into it, funny enough, was my daughters um, were, were using it. And they're both in college now, but they, they were using it as high school students. And, um, and they're like, Dad, you know, you could use Canva for that. And, and so they were kind of helping me with some social media stuff. And um, so, so it's kind of neat how, how it like bubbled back up. But I, I thought it was really interesting when I was looking at the timeline of when you joined the Canva team. I think it was literally like a month before you joined that I had, had met the team there. Yeah. So what, I, I had no idea how big it was going to become. What, what did you see in Canva that made you feel like you wanted to be a part of that team? Yeah, that's, yeah, it's such a coincidence. Um, and that, I don't know, kind of sucks for you, I guess, <laughs> if you had seen it. <laughs> Um, I've had had plenty of lucky hooking into (laughs) things that just happen to work out really well. Oh, yeah. Look, you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I guess, yeah, I'm proud to say I I did see it. I did see that it would be huge. And I think like I just kind of had this feeling that it would be the Google of design one day. Um, And I still believe that pretty strongly today, to be honest. Um, I think what attracted me, as I said, was the product just solved a problem specifically for me. It felt like it was built for me and it also felt like it had had love poured into it. I know that sounds kind of weird, but it just felt delightful. And that was kind of, that was an incredible thing to experience at the time. Um, Alongside that, there was just a really down to earth team and culture and people who I kind of found just didn't take themselves too seriously, which I thought was pretty cool. Especially I, I was, you know, coming out of having studied advertising and being in this corporate environment and I just kind of, it just seemed like this complete juxtaposition from that. Like there's all these people trying to be professional and wearing suits and, you know, and, and Canva just didn't feel like that at all. They were like, you know, it's just a ridiculous thing. Um, and so I loved that part of the culture as well. Yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting because at the time that I had, had met with the team there, I think part of the reason why I didn't think it would necessarily be a big opportunity it was because I had a friend who was trying to do something similar with in, in a startup that he had. And, um, and I had just kind of seen him struggling with it, seen the team struggling with it. And it was, it was kind of helping people design better, but using more corporate assets and all the things that you kind of described that it wasn't like, it didn't, it didn't have a consumer feel to it at all. It was more about like, how do you make better looking PowerPoint? And, and then, but, but it was like, they were selling into, into like bigger corporates. And I think it's just really interesting how getting that product formula right and scoping the problem right and kind of all of those pieces can make such a big difference so i given that i've seen like that you know and eventually he ended up shutting down that 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 product and and fortunately for him he had a a services business that that continues to do really well to this day but like it's kind of looking at the path not taken it's not like it was a slam dunk just identifying that problem to, to be able to build a great business what what do you think ultimately was was a key to Canva making it when so many others who who kind of played around in that space haven't had nearly that much success? Yeah, I think 
it's so many different things that had to converge at the sure. one time. Yeah. Right? It always is. Um, so it's like that perfect storm of kind of right idea, right time, right team, right investors. Um, but it also like came out at a time when Facebook was really going crazy. You know, this was kind of this era when everybody was realizing they could start a business online with almost no money. And Canva was a tool that empowered almost anyone to do that. So yes, it was consumer focused, but it was for consumers to actually empower themselves to start businesses and change their lives, you know, in a meaningful way. And I think that was a really powerful idea at that time. Um, and yeah, I think kind of secondarily to that, they they had the right attitude. And I think this is a really important one is that they invested super heavily in the product. Um, it was also at a time when I don't know, I'm sure you remember the kind of lean startup methodology and right. get a really crappy MVP out and then just... Yeah, yeah but if it's not ugly, you waited too long. That's right. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was kind of rejecting that entire notion. They got funding from a pitch deck and then built a pro took ages, you know, over a year to build the first product that they launched with tons of pressure from investors. Um, and maybe that's not as strange now, but back then it kind of was um, because they really wanted to make a really, really, really good first impression. And that kind of, I think that was, that was really critical. Yeah. There, there's definitely something that is so unique about uh, Canva and how it's approached it that, um, I mean, maybe not that unique I mean, in, in the sense that even, even in the B2B businesses that Ethan and I have interviewed for the podcast, one of the big differentiators is being really end user focused and almost taking a consumer approach to, to B2B. And so I think with, with Canva, obviously there's got to be a lot of B2B usage of the product, but it's, it's almost kind of like what we saw even at Dropbox where you solve the problem for the individual and, and then, you know, you have enough individuals who, who love a product then you, then you have bigger company opportunities there. Definitely. Um, but it's, uh, and this is the interesting thing that like your story is very, very common. You know, we would find lots of people who are in high school, university, and they tell their parents and their parents go, huh, that might actually work for my work. Uh, and so when you build a product that, you know, and high school students aren't stupid, but when you build a product that even your, you know, young children in, in primary school could use, um, it, becomes, it becomes something that can spread very quickly. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's not about not being like smart enough to use products, but it's, it's one of those things that they don't, they don't have patience for things that aren't kind of fun to use and, and to be able to express themselves creatively. It, it, it's not surprising that there would be a big draw in, in that group of people, but like, it's not just kids that care about that. It's, it's, no. it's all of us. No one wants to struggle with a product. No, exactly. And that also kind of creates that aha moment for the user, right? They go, mm -hmm. oh, that was easy. Oh, I'm, I actually can do this. I actually might be creative. And, and right. that confidence in our users was, you know, something we thought about a lot. Yeah. And I actually even remember on some of my early podcast designs that I did with Canvas and people going, that doesn't look so hot, you know? And, uh, and like I could have said, forget this and, and, and just hire a professional to do these things. But I, I think it was one of those things that I took it as a challenge and it's like, you know what? I, I know I can do better. The tools are there and, and I do, I just need to be a little more obsessive with this. And now I feel like I can put something out that, um, may not be like a professional designer would do, but you know, this, we're, we're not monetizing really this podcast. It's more fun. And, and so like it, it just, uh, 
like it, I think it works for our situation really well. Yeah, totally. So Ethan, uh, thoughts? <laughs> no, I was just going to second that. I, I feel like any product where you find you're telling your 12 year old daughter about, uh, has, has a long shelf life, right? I mean, you know, I already, there was a moment when my daughter was working on something for school and it was like, oh, I think you could do that with Canva. I showed it to her and she, you know, she got right into it. And it's, you know, it's just like the first time she picked up an iPhone when she was like three, you know, starts scrolling right through it. Like it's, you know, like it's just so intuitive. And I think that's the, the, the nice thing about the product is it's really intuitive. So even though I do think like I had the same experience where the first couple of times I used it, what I produced wasn't so great. Um, but as you're kind of going around the edges, figuring out, you know, what you're trying to do, you start to see, oh, there's this thing, or there's this uh, sort of template that you can, you can draw in for the next time. And I think that really helps you, you know, the user engage with it. Um, and once it, you, you start to use it a few times, you build that habit, uh, then you kind of feel like, oh, I can do anything with this, which I can't, but uh, at least <laughs> yeah. I feel better about. <laughs> and that's the important piece. I think as well, we, we always thought about it as the tool kind of teaches you as you go. So you actually learn the fundamentals of good design as you use it. So yeah, your first go might not be perfect, but as you see, you know, a lot of our templates, you kind of start to go, oh, okay, maybe that kind of font goes with that kind of font. And you need, you know, maybe you need something smaller next to something bigger and, and you kind of start to learn those fundamentals through the tool itself. Yeah. Cool. So as you guys were, were building this, are there any key challenges that come to mind that you and the team had to overcome with the business? So many challenges, yes. <laughs> um, cha I mean, I think most recently, the, one of the biggest challenges was keeping Canvas simple, actually, on this kind of train of thought. You know, the bigger your org get, you know, Canvas 1,500 people now, probably going to be 2,000 people very soon. And when you're a small team, you can keep the product simple um, because there aren't that many people that want to add stuff to it. Um, but the bigger you get, and especially the more product managers you get, the more people want to add you know, a button to the core product every single quarter. Um, and if every team adds a button every quarter, you know, you become who exactly we wanted to not become very, very fast. And, you know, you kind of become the problem that you were created to solve, I guess. Um, so that was that was a huge part of my role, you know, leading, leading product was how do we keep Canvas simple and bake in a lot of the philosophies um, that we use to create Canva and the values that we use to build Canva. And yeah, that was, that's still a huge challenge today. Mm -hmm. And is that something that is um, more kind of instincts driven or do you continue to do usability testing over time? Or can you start to see in metrics that you're, that you're slipping into something that's, that's maybe missing the mark and, and more complex than it needs to be? Yeah, it's a combination. I mean, I, I guess it's definitely in some way instincts, but I think instincts are born from you using the product and your experience, right? Like you build up an instinct. Um, and so we encourage everybody in the team to use Canva every day, especially product managers should be using Canva every day. And luckily it's a tool that you can use to create awesome visuals for work. So it's kind of, per, you know, it's perfect for a product manager, um, which is really handy. Um so I'd say, yeah, it's, it's somewhat instinct. It's also how users tell us, right? You know, they, we, have, we get tons and tons of feedback every single day from users saying, hey, this, this was annoying. Why did you put this here? Or why actually, you know, some users are saying this is getting too complex. And so we would have big projects to simplify across the board, you know. Um, you know the design team would, would work on huge projects to simplify across the board. And it's something that we talk about a lot. 
because it's kind of if you lose that, you lose the game is, is, is really the idea at Canva. Right. That makes sense. So, so on the metrics part of that question, did you, did you feel like, um, is, there, is there anything from a, from a product management perspective that, that like metrics can be particularly helpful or is that really more growth and marketing uh, in your, in, where you also have strengths, but I'm just curious if you kind of brought some of that, those metrics more to the product as well. Yeah. I mean, of course, metrics matter for product, right? If you're not, if you're not growing the use of your product, kind of what are you doing as a product person? But I don't think that they should be the be all and end all um, of, you know, your kind of strategy, right? So we, we would sometimes see, I guess, that metrics would tell us that maybe something was getting too complex or maybe people were getting stuck here. Um, but I think a lot of the time, yeah, it has to come from kind of your experience of the product. I'd say more generally, though, product teams, of course, focus a huge amount on metrics. Um, but it's kind of not this one-size-fits-all approach. I think what I would often find is that it's not that, you know, every product team is created equal. You'd have some product teams who are incredibly metrics-focused, some product teams who, you know, actually sometimes their work cannot be measured. Um, and that's, that's sometimes okay. Um, you know, if you're doing a, a big project to simplify an area of the product, you might find that doesn't move any number. But was it still worthwhile? Like, yes, it absolutely was. Um, what you want to make sure is you don't screw, you know, you don't ruin any kind of any of the numbers at the very least. But it was perfectly acceptable at Canva to, to make an improvement and and not move a number. Sure. And then what about like are, in terms of when a new feature may have been added, which which maybe the answer is not to add new features as we as we talked <laughs> about. Maybe it's about simplifying. But um, if a new feature is added, obviously. Obviously, um, you know, you're going to see in the metrics if people used that new feature or not. And then, and then in the metrics, uh, if they use it once and never come back, it's going to give you some sort of indication that maybe it wasn't that valuable. Um, did, did you guys spend a lot of time in kind of looking, looking at sort of feature usage and do we keep that feature or not based on how, how often it's used once someone has tried it? Yeah, I mean, we do look at that, although it doesn't really paint you that that good a picture, I think. If you put a button mm -hmm. at the top of Canva, people are going to click it. Right, <laughs> um, right. No? So but that doesn't mean it should have been put there. Um, it's, and it's actually very, very hard to take buttons away. People get very annoyed when you take buttons away. And, you know, you look at, you look at products like Jira um, and they had that problem hugely, right? They just added every button under the sun and then someone starts using it. <laughs> And you can't take it away. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think features being super deliberate about what even goes in in the first place. Really deliberate. Like you can't yeah. wait until you're measuring feature usage to tell you whether or not that was a good idea. I think. Okay. Okay. And then what about like a north star metric? Did you guys have uh, on a company level something that um, that everyone kind of aligned around in terms of saying like, yeah, this this is. Uh, we, we know we're being successful as a business based on growth of this particular metric. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So at the company level, we had monthly active users was the most important one. That's for sure. And Canva very, you know, they care a lot about happy active users um, still to this day. And we kind of recently added um, happy active users in teams because Canva's really pushing into the team space. Um, and kind of secondarily to that, of course, revenue. Um, but I would say revenue is, yeah, it's a, it, it is secondary at Canva still. 
Um, and yeah, that yeah. often doesn't happen, you know, once you get, once you get this big revenue becomes the number one. Um, I agree, yeah. But it's, it's still not, um, which, is, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and I, I think it's one of those things that sometimes if you over-optimize on growing revenue, that um, that's where you can maybe make that revenue grow strongly for a little while. And then if your engagement and, and you know, you're essentially doing things in, in lieu of driving engagement, exactly. then, then people end up canceling their subscriptions. So It's, all, um, it's the ultimate trade-off, yeah. right? Yeah, you can make more money, but you'll, you'll annoy a, a large majority of your most important users. Uh, we always say, you know, you can slap a buy button right on the top of Canva um, and make a ton of money. Um, but is that, you know, is that a really good thing to do for the majority of our users? No. Right. Yeah. It seems really subtle on the, on the like upsells that are in there, which. Yeah, it's um, pretty subtle. But, but like, but I don't remember what it caught, what caused me to pay for premium, but, um, but I feel good about paying for premium there because I, I feel like I get a lot of value from the product. That's great to know. I think when you you know when you over index on a metric that's really mission driven like happy active users revenue naturally follows so I think it's you know I mean you you got to think if you're making more active users more happy active users in teams probably the revenue number is going up and to the right as well so exactly uh, that's exactly how we thought about it I mean we looked at monthly active users as almost like our total addressable market of paying customers right like that's our TAM that we can then go and convert. Um, so yeah. you've got to have them first. So it's really interesting that you worked across product marketing and growth. What do you think is an ideal way for startups to organize their teams based on that experience? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. And I don't think that, I mean, structure is all about communication, right? Because humans are fickle and we talk to the people next to us <laughs> and we talk less and less to the people who are further and further away. So mm -hmm. any structure that Especially you, when you get to 1500 people, that's it's right. Like, yeah. A lot further away. <laughs> and any structure you create is going to make some people talk and some people not talk. Um, so, you know, you can go vertical and certain people will, will collaborate better together. You'll get more efficiencies between those people and then you'll get more disconnection between the other people. Um, and then you go horizontal and then you go vertical again. I actually think it's a natural ebb and flow. Uh, any company has to go through is to constantly is to constantly think through, is this structure serving us and have we reached a breaking point where communication has you know, broken down so much that we then have to maybe reorganize? And that, that happened constantly at Canva, you know? That's interesting. So you actually saw like at times where like product marketing and growth might have been separate and at other times where they were joined together and Yeah, and obviously like as you grow as well it needs to change. So different stages of the business you need generally need different structures. Um but yeah, we I mean we would I actually think in the very very early days of Canva it wasn't necessarily cross-functional teams, which is you know the typical kind of product team right, you know, now is you know product design, engineering, data, sometimes you know in some cases marketing. Um, and we had that structure absolutely, but then you find when you decentralize marketing, then they don't get efficiencies together as a team. Um, maybe messaging becomes disconnected. Um, but then, and we did centralize marketing eventually um, because we wanted to build those efficiencies. We also kind of wanted to build a really kind of kick-ass internal production team um, that almost ended up acting like an internal agency. Um, which has a ton of benefits as well. But, of course, then it becomes distant from product um, and then you need to kind of go back the other way. So actually just before I left, we were doing a kind of hybrid model where we had centralized marketing production teams and then embedded 
marketers in product teams. So it was kind of this dual dual affinity to your yeah to your function and to your kind of area. And then was there a growth team involved in there somewhere, or was it primarily marketing and product? Yeah, so growth at Canva is really interesting. We had right up. I mean, it changed so many times. We had again centralized growth for a good while. Then we tried to decentralize, and it kind of ebbed and flowed again like that. Um, most recently, we had uh, Canva is structured in groups, so kind of verticals um, that are you know cross-functional groups that kind of have a one big mission, a big product area that they own and go after. Um, and what we had most recently was uh, because we wanted the funnel as a kind of one one big project to be optimized kind of together and looked at as one cohesive piece, uh, we did end up centralizing teams that owned the entire funnel. Um, but we kind of visualized them as not just servicing our customers, but servicing the business. So in a way, they were vertical and you could think of the kind of product groups as um, horizontal. Um, so it was kind of, again, this hybrid model where you would have this centralized growth function and teams all together, um, but also servicing and working very closely with the kind of core product groups. Complicated question to answer and also a complicated thing to do. I mean, I always yeah, find yeah. organization design is product design, right? Like what you, right. how you create your company ends up how your product kind of looks and, and works and feels. So you have to think of it in those terms. Yeah, and I think if if you if you have a team that's really excited about what you're doing and you have a, like a really clear mission, um, regardless of the roles that that they individually play, if they if they are all kind of celebrating the same outcome, it's easier. Like regardless of how you organize, it's easier to kind of keep people working well together. But um, but I do think that there is a challenge as you as you grow, as you said, you get fifteen hundred people. People get further apart from each other, and it is. It is possible to get so so siloed that it's it's more about you care start to care more about we as a marketing team and them as that team and and almost more about that kind of delineation than even about what we're doing overall as a company and the progress we're making as a company. But yeah, uh, totally. doesn't sound like that was really no. Canva's not where you at Canva, so that's good. Yeah, <laughs> this is good. Yeah, and I think like you also have to be very intentional about shaking it up, like. How can mm-hmm. you get people talking? How can you, you know, get mm-hmm. doing secondments in other teams and things like that so that so that knowledge spreads? I think Canva was very, very intentional about spreading knowledge in so many different ways. So um, did you did you do many like all hands kind of meetings where where yeah. everybody would hear about progress? Yeah, tons. I mean, you know, Canva is a company that builds a tool for internal communication and sure, visual yeah. comms so you know presenting it's a huge part of the culture huge 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 okay and um okay we that would have well. yeah we would have these what you'd call so we plan in seasons not in quarters um kind of just a, a different thing um but still three months obviously at a time and would have these yeah big all hands effectively once every season where people would, you know, present progress, talk about their vision, what's coming up and also what they'd achieved. And we'd also do that in the middle of the season. And then we also do it at the end of every week. And yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cross collaboration and communication at Canva for sure. Yeah, that sounds, it sounds amazing. And it sounds like um, constant evolution, but with, with real purpose. And I think that's always how, you know, that's always the most effective way to uh, keep things on the right track. You, 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 you touched on this a little bit, but we've seen a trend towards growth and product leadership sort of being combined in many companies. 
do you have you seen that trend? Do you think it'll and do you think it'll continue? What do you think of it? Yeah, this is. I mean, it, it makes sense to me in theory. Like combining them, if you, as I said, if you're not if you're in product and you're not thinking about growth, what are you doing? Um, but equally, I I I do think that you know growth marketing can be quite distinct from product growth, and obviously that they they need to work hand in hand. But I think that you can split it along those lines um, quite easily. Uh, I think product growth and product. Um, is a tougher one to split but equally in practice you know it does help to have someone that is solely focused on you know growth um, and maybe cares more about the metrics and someone who is you know solely focused on vision and big bets and what are we doing next and simplifying the product you know all of these kinds of things so um, but I think you have to make sure that there is you know because overlap can create friction, right? Overlap can sure. yeah. create issues. No, so. Unclear ownership. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but I think, again, it has to be based on your team. You, if you know your team, right? Like what are the skill sets in your team and what are going to complement each other? If you, you might have a product leader who is incredible at growth and data and maybe your product needs that. You know, it, it needs to be based on your product as well. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe that can be one person. Or maybe you have a product that that doesn't need that or needs, you know, someone solely focused on on growth. Mm-hmm. It's a hard question. So, yeah, for, sure, for sure. I don't think I there's like a pretty good answer. Think, actually. Yeah, we, we, uh, we ask the questions. We don't answer any questions. Oh. <laughs> oh, <damn it. laughs> but, um, but like when, I mean, obviously if, if really everyone in the company is playing some kind of a role in moving that daily active user number and you know, pushing as much value to customers as, as they can. And, and kind of you have clear control of some of those levers, particularly I, I think um, it's, it's, obvi- it's often underappreciated how much product actually plays a role in growth. I think historically people look much more to marketing and they thought much more about like, Let's just acquire more customers, and that's and that's how we grow. Um, yeah, because it's a lot easier to attribute at the top of the funnel, right? For Retention sure, is is notoriously difficult to attribute any. Right, any and then and then conversion, which kind of sits in between the two groups, but kind of going all the way out to that acquisition side um, in in the product role. Did you did you spend much time thinking, or you know, going forward as you as you take on additional um, heads of product roles? Do, do you think do you think it's something that you really just kind of put the trust in a marketing team to figure out customer acquisition, or is there a role you can play in helping to drive customer acquisition? Some, somehow collaborating with with that marketing team. Yeah, I think definitely as a product leader, you have to care about acquisition because. The way you acquire a customer very, very clearly generally determines their path into the product, right? Um, and we found that like Canva is a is a simple product. If you're you know signing up today, it feels very simple. It is a very very complex funnel. Um, so you know we have hundreds of design types. We have fifty thousand templates, each of which, by the way, can be an acquisition um, funnel or path. Um, you know, multiple marketing channels, of course, you know, paid marketing, brand marketing, organic. Um, you can come in as a free user, a pro user, an enterprise team. It's in over, you know, all of this in over 100 languages on multiple platforms. So, like, the amount of, 
of different ways someone can join Canva um, hugely affects their their first experience, which then hugely affects their their later experiences. So if you're not thinking about that as a product person, that entire journey, um, I think you are you're definitely missing something. Yeah, especially when you like t- talk about templates. You know, that's clearly product, but you're creating a- an acquisition opportunity each time that you that you create new templates and ideally seeing a feedback loop of which which templates are the ones that are actually most effective in that use case, which templates are most effective for ongoing users and, and just, you know, kind of having, having that uh, informing it. But I think that's that, that kind of move toward product led growth where, where the product plays such an important part, even in acquisition is, uh, is, is kind of a newer way to think about things that, you know, five or 10 years ago, people were a little less focused on. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we, I don't think Canva's ever not been focused on, on the product, right? Like that's always been part of its DNA. Um, but definitely in the early days, we cared more about just getting any, you know, getting it in the hands of anyone we could. Um, and then as you grow, you kind of start to go, okay, we want to make sure that we acquire activated users. And actually the acquisition number that we care about is not just getting someone through the door. It's getting someone through the door who then gets value. Um, right. And you can't yeah. separate those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting because as soon as Sean asked you about acquisition, you talked about that path into the product, and I ultimately that always leads to this activation moment. That you know, and Sean and I really we always talk about speed to value and getting person people to that moment where they they have that aha. They and that's that first moment where you think you know you're going to convert them into someone who really loves this product. So I'm curious. What role, you know, your thoughts on activation, like specifically, like your what role do you think activation typically plays in improving the scalability of new profitable customer acquisition channels? Yeah, I mean, activation. Yeah, as as I said, it is about a user getting into your product and getting value, um, seeing value. You know, Canva cares a huge amount about users seeing value the first time they join because what we found is it's directly correlated with them coming back, seeing more value, and then, and then as we said, you know, converting to a paying customer. Um, so what we would generally find is any, yeah, any acquisition channel we use, the only way we would scale it um, is if it was showing that we would get those users through the door that were getting value, um, not just, mm-hmm. you know, scaling it because we were, you know, getting tons of numbers. Yeah, and, and, yeah set a gazillion people in. If they don't get yeah, to the value, exactly. it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, you know, we would find this even, you know, the kind of relationship as we're talking about between acquisition and activation we would often you often see in product and we're always tracking activation we also had another metric we looked at as double activation which kind of was our proxy for retention um and uh we would find oh my god activation just dropped what's happened and then you see oh marketing has gone and spent on this campaign that actually maybe acquired users that were much broader than the, the ones we normally acquire you know so there's such a direct link that you kind of you can't separate the two um and there and there is the way that you can you can scale profitably i think is is to focus on activation i see like one of the flaws that i see sometimes in in product leaders is that they 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 kind of feel like that that it's sort of one or two features away they're like once the roadmap is complete it's it's going to solve everything like a great great product will solve everything but if you if you don't think about that path into the product you don't think about how how does that product connect with the needs of users that aren't yet on that product 
and, and kind of connecting those dots that a great product essentially it's kind of like a, a forest falls or a tree falls in the forest then no one's there to hear it. Did it really fall? It's sort of like, That's is it really a great product if no one experiences it? That's right. And you have to be forensic about this stuff too. I remember, you know, years ago when we were first starting to think about activation um, and as I said, you know, a lot of our templates are paths into the product and say you would have, and we didn't, we hadn't, we didn't have as many templates back then. Um, you know, this was kind of, it was kind of in the very early days and we found that if you serve someone, a, you know, a template as close as possible to the thing they were looking for, they're probably, I think it was about 15% more likely to activate. So if they came in searching for, I really want a baby shower invitation that's safari themed and you don't serve them safari themed baby invitations, they're not likely to create something of value and they're not likely to see value in that first experience of your product. So yeah, these mm-hmm. two things became very, very, very related. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of metrics talk for someone who uh, <laughs> maybe didn't uh, emphasize metrics so much. And when you see a 15% improvement in conversion, if they find that template, that's, um, that's, that's awesome when you, can, when you can understand on that level, then you, then you can start to really turn up those levers a lot more. Totally. Yeah, I, look, I don't need metrics. I just be all and end all. Yeah, no, I think it's one of those things that you sometimes... Um, it's, it's easy to forget how much of a role metrics sort of play day to day. At the end of the day, it's about a great product experience and, and delivering that to a lot of people. But the metrics can be a really important feedback loop in, in helping you know where are you falling down in trying to do that and what things are really working and how do you do more of the right stuff. It, right. It's kind of clear that you see all of these levers connected together, I think, which uh, is something Sean and I really, you know, we see successful companies really focused on how does this lever work with this one? So how does activation impact retention and engagement? Uh, And, you know, that's where I wanted, what I wanted to ask you about was how do you, how do you think about getting new customers to build a habit around a new product? Like what, how did, how did habit building come into focus for you in your role? Yeah, so engagement, retention, these, as I said, super, super tricky. (laughs) Um, And I think part of it is that the entire product org is in a way focused on retention. Um, Improving the product, you know, we've found improves retention. Um, But it can be difficult, I think, when when your, your definition of retention is actually different to your user's. Um, so, you know, we we actually ended up breaking retention and engagement down into two different definitions and kind of approached them as two separate things. So retention became, you know, a customer choosing Canva when they needed to design. And engagement became, you know, customers realizing more needs for Canva. Um, so, and you don't want to, you don't want to screw with, you know, the original one for the second one. So if someone comes to Canva every three months to design their business cards, because they print enough for a three-month supply, you don't want to annoy the hell out of that customer by saying, hey, what about Instagram posts? Or, hey, what about presentations? When they're very happy with your business card product. Um, and so this, you know, this is, a, it's an, an, again, another complex web at Canva. Um, but uh, it became, that became the kind of two ways we, we started thinking about it. And we thought about what are the types of customers that are likely to um, need to realize more needs or are likely to be become more engaged if we educate them on other things that you know that might actually be useful for them you know one example is a customer comes in you know creating a logo 
um, they're probably likely to be starting something. If you're creating a logo, mm-hmm. yeah, you're probably starting a business. Right, at the beginning so, of the journey. Yeah, what are the other things that Canva could offer them that they might not have seen because they came in with that one track mind of you know creating a mm-hmm. logo? Or maybe they do need business cards. Maybe they haven't seen our presentation product. So we kind of tried to think mm. about it in these, who are the customers that are actually more likely to uh, be receptive to kind of engagement messages and who are not mm-hmm. um, and segmenting them that way. And it's even interesting that you mentioned logo. Like um, we we designed a logo for breakout growth that we, mm. um, I would have never had the guts to try to design that myself, even though I tried to design some of the promos, but like that's, that I went to 99 designs for that. But now that you mm. say that, it's like, I should have at least tried. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I could have figured out a way to do it okay. Um, oh, and Logo is huge for Canva. It's like one yeah, of Yeah, and it just shows like how, how like because I didn't connect, I, I knew Canva, but I didn't connect my use case to Canva at that time. Then the opportunity of, of the slides that I do off of that, like there's so many different, the slide templates, there's so many other design things that hang off of that that I then did not consider Canva for. It just, it's a, it's a great, example of like uh why why you want to make sure that you um connect the dots between their needs and expand the uh realization of what those needs are and um but at the same time not annoy them by by like hitting them over the head too too many times (laughs) what sean's forgetting is that i actually did try to do the first version of the breakoutgrowth.net logo on canva and um let's just say Oh, 90, 99 oh. designs was a much better option. So, oh no, we still got really some work nice. to do then. Or <laughs> <laughs> just need to put it in the hands of someone with talent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why no, no? The user is never wrong, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. uh, no, no, in this case, the user was wrong. Oh. <laughs> so, so one of the last parts of the growth engine that I, I have a feeling is really important for Canva, and, it, and it's been really important in, in most of the businesses that I've worked on. Um, I, it, it turns out that like I, I think almost every business I've worked on was freemium. And um, when you, yeah, when you have a free product, there's a lot of difficulties with having a free version of a product. Like your, your biggest competitor becomes yourself. And there's, there's a lot of reasons not to do it. I think in my experience, the biggest reason to do it is that you get a lot more people experiencing that value who then spread the word to other people. Like I guarantee you that my kids would not have been using Canva if they had to pay for it. But once they got the value out of it, they could show, look what I designed with Canva. You, you can do this too, dad. Little did they know it, little slower learning curve, but um, how- And you upgrade your start. So how do you think about, about freemium, whether it's at Canva or just in general and, and how that plays into referral? Yeah, I think, I mean, the freemium model at Canva is not, it's not just to give people a little taste of something and then to hope that they pay. Um, it really comes from the val- a values perspective of they actually want to, you know, give something to the world and improve the world in a way and, and empower people with tools that they might not have had access to before. Um, and which then goes on to improve their lives, you know, like having access to a tool like this can mean the difference between you getting a job and not getting a job because you created that killer resume that, you know, you wouldn't have been able to do before or, you know, creating a website for a business that you're just getting off the ground and marketing it. Um, So, 
yeah, the, the freemium model is not just about this, well, let's hope everybody upgrades to pro. It's actually very much about what Campbell wants to do in the world. But I do obviously see benefits of that. And as you said, you know, the majority, you know, the majority of people that Campbell wants to serve don't have much money. That's the whole point. Um, they don't have much money to be buying those expensive tools or learning, you know, learning design or, or purchasing expensive software um, to get their jobs done. So I think the the entire, yeah, you can't really expect that the entire world is going to upgrade to pro and it's very much about giving value to the world as much as it is uh, getting upgrades. But it, yeah, the premium model is a really, really, really tough one because, you know, if somebody gets too much value out of the free product, then they're not going to upgrade. Um, they're not even going to knock on the door and see what's behind there because they don't need to. Um, so it becomes this tricky balance. But I think where we, you know, where we really landed was the free product has to be crazy valuable and mm-hmm. therefore the pro product has to be way more valuable. You know, yeah, yeah. that is just, that's the long and the short of it. Um, <laughs> I think that's a really great explanation of what it takes to make freemium work really well. Is. Yeah. And we would find, you know, in the early yeah. days when we first launched Pro, um, we would get feedback, you know, oh, it's too expensive. And of course, too expensive is always, it's not valuable enough or I'm not, I don't see value yeah. in this product. You always get yeah. feedback on price and it's generally never <laughs> back on price, right? I don't need it at that price. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't give me any value. And so we had, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about how can we make this the most ridiculously valuable product out there for this price. Um, and, you know, I mean, the content, I'm not sure if you upgraded because of the content plan, but that was a huge part of that strategy, which was, you know, we wanted to become the kind of Spotify, Netflix model of content, you know, for, for design. Um, and that's been a huge one in, in giving people value. You get access to, you know, I don't know if it's 50 million images, illustrations, icons, videos. That's, I think that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's insane for that amount. And you didn't have to pay any more money when we added that feature. Um, and I think that's the critical thing about subscription products is they have to grow in value over time. Because if they don't grow in value and you pay the same price, they actually decrease in value in your mind, right? Um, so that's kind of how we thought about, yeah, the Canva subscription product. And it, and it was really like subtle now that I'm thinking back that you just, you you see that content and then and then like this one's free. There's like a little crown or something on it or some, some kind of like mark on it that, that lets you know that certain ones are free and certain ones are premium, but it's not like... It's not sort of like banging you over the head to, to buy it. It's like, here's some valuable stuff you can have for free. And if you want even more stuff, then then you, that's on the paid plan. And that's uh, and I, found, so, I was oh, go just, just going to add, um, I also found with that, that the supporting communications that you guys do both in the app uh, or excuse me, in uh, on the site and also uh, through email, they're really light touch that, you know, there's nothing hitting you over the head. Like you should upgrade now. It's everything was about sort of, helping you really understand that journey and find value, keep finding value in the, in the free product so that eventually you, you run, you hit, hit those edges where you're like, Oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. Yeah, no, that is deep in the DNA of the Canva product team for sure. I mean, the pro team has a hard time because everybody, everybody is kind of pushing against, um, against these, you know, pushing upgrades too hard because it, it ruins the whole ecosystem. Um, but equally, you want to, it is incredibly valuable, right? So if, if someone is in, a, in an, a space where they are likely to upgrade or they would actually get value out of it, then that's when you want to be suggesting it. 
Yeah. So, so pretty much everyone listening to this podcast hopes one day to be on a rocket ship like Canva, hopes to, hopes to go on the unicorn journey. And you, you spent a lot of years on that journey. Um, obviously, some of them probably exhausting, some of them really exciting. You probably, if you compared it to a regular nine to five job, you would find that super boring, but Very what, so. <laughs> yeah, how, how would you kind of you know, try to, in a, in a couple of sentences, let someone know what it's like to, to, to go through. I mean, what was, what was the sort of publicly stated valuation at the time you joined versus, I, and hmm. I want to say it's, it's, Many billions that what I've seen reported in many the billions. press. I'm not sure what the yeah. latest numbers are, so I'll just yeah, say. Yeah, no, I understand. Those are like sensitive <laughs> usually, but like the it's 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 an incredibly valuable company. Yeah. If it were in Silicon Valley, I think in in Sydney, it probably makes it one of the top two or three of all the startups that have come out of Sydney. Probably yeah, in absolutely. The last yeah, and I'd say probably fastest years. growing, fastest growing startup in Australia. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, I mean, in a word, life-changing, right? Like it it definitely catapulted my career much further than I could have ever gone in that amount of time, probably anywhere else. Um, the amount I learned at that place, I just, I, I don't know, I don't know where else I will be able to learn that amount in that amount of time. And you also learn a lot about yourself, right? When you are put under pressure, constant pressure, um, you have to grow. Um, you have to learn about yourself. You have to figure out why, why do I get stressed in these situations? What is it that's stressing me out? What, you know, and you have to constantly change yourself and uh-huh. yourself. And I think what do I actually like to do, especially since you've done so many yeah. different things, you, you, you have probably a really good idea of what's the ideal type of company. What's the ideal type of role? Totally. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And I think that that was the most invaluable part of it for sure. Awesome. It's awesome. awesome that you're talking about it in terms of learning because I, I want to ask one last question before we wrap up. And that's, what do you feel like you understand about growth now that you didn't understand as well a couple of years ago? Hmm. I think that, and I know we've spoken a lot about numbers, but I'd say growing a business is not about obsessing over numbers. You know, um, you have to take big risks and big risks are scary and you won't necessarily be able to justify them with any number. Um, sometimes you do have to trust your gut and I know that's not a popular viewpoint anymore um, necessarily, but it's one I really believe and it's one I saw pay off for Canva time and time and time again. So yeah, trust your gut. Yeah, and no, I, risks. I, I love that. Yeah. I, I, I feel like, um, I feel like too many people look for answers in the numbers. I think that the answer is, is often more from the gut and like what you, what, how you capitalize on an opportunity that you're seeing and the numbers are, are, are going to let you know if you, if you, if you went in the right direction or not. Totally. Yeah. But the, no but the answers are not in the numbers. <laughs> no, no chart is going to give you any good ideas. Can tell you that. No, no. <laughs> no, but qualitative, I have gotten some good ideas from qualitative. Absolutely. Like where, yeah, yeah. Where, where the numbers tell me everyone is getting messed up here. And then I have enough conversations with enough people. It's like, oh, why don't we just try doing this? And it can, it can make a big difference. But, uh, but yeah. I and mean, then, then I think even with that, you don't want to just be chasing, chasing like, oh, I'll solve this problem. I'll solve that problem. But having that kind of centralized vision of what it is that you're trying to build and like really passionately um, creating something that's valuable for the world, which seems like Canva has, uh, 
kind of top to bottom from the very early days is is really um, has has a has a different way of wire, being wired a, a, around that that um, has has taken it a really long way. So people who are money hungry, just you know, numbers hungry, probably have a lot to learn if they just just kind of see okay that that like that those are that. That the money and the numbers are are more of a um, an output of doing everything else really really well. Exactly, <laughs> and if you're doing it for that, yeah, you probably won't go too far. Yeah, and you probably burn out pretty fast. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but those are really like some of my key takeaways. I just um, yeah, it just it just feels like everything that you've said is is like you you didn't need to overly obsess on trying to get the organization right. That that you 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 made. Tweaks along the way, but but having having kind of clarity of what you guys were trying to do that every, every way you organize was not probably that broken, and it's it's good to try to drive improvement and um, and that it's all about those happy active users and just uh, just focusing on growing as many happy active users as you can over time. It's rewarding and it's and it's ultimately leading to a very valuable company. And um, congratulations for, on that and. Whatever you plan to do next, so no, no specific uh, hints you can send our way. Are you, are you are, do you have the energy to jump on another rocket ship or? Uh, no. Yeah, or... yeah, I definitely. I mean, I'm going to build up the energy again. That's for sure. I'm, yeah, I'm enjoying yeah. having a big rest. Um, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, resting has been one of the best things I've done ever for sure. Um, oh, and funnily enough, COVID has been a weird blessing because I think I would have just gone and done a million things and traveled, and which would have sure. been great. But I, yeah, it's been a good time to a lot more time for thinking than yeah, yeah which has sure. been really cool. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I want to. I would love to create my own rocket ship. That's definitely the goal next. So we'll awesome. see. Well, it sounds like you got you got all the components to be able to do it. I mean, it starts with with really good product, but um, having the the marketing and growth background, um, you know, being able to pull together a team when you have strengths in a lot of different areas is. Uh, yeah, um, from what I've seen, like that's you've got the raw ingredients to to do something awesome next. Uh, well, especially if you're if you're awesome. at the helm of the ship. Yeah. <laughs> Any, yeah. Anything else you want to add, Ethan? Any last I'll questions? Let you know if I'm hiring. No, <laughs> I, just, I, <laughs> I just wanted to say, like, I think one of the kind of the key learnings for me is just that systematic doesn't mean formulaic. Um, is what I, you know, you you mentioned like. Uh, that the company didn't start with an MVP, which is what everyone tells you. You know, that's the way you do it. And you didn't over-index on metrics, um, but you're not saying, and again, I, I think we, you've, you've been very clear that doesn't mean you don't care about metrics. It just means that it's not the, the be-all, end-all. And you left us with this great quote, note chart is going to give you great ideas, which I'm going to use every day from now on. And it my own. <laughs> right, there's, there's a lot of good quotes I'm going to pull from this one. Yeah. So, uh, Georgia, we could keep talking forever, but I'm sure you've got things to do today, like uh, go to the beach and relax yeah. somewhere. <laughs> Enjoy yeah, the rain, it sounds like. Sunny, so, so oh, like, good. Well, awesome. hopefully you guys, oh, you're in Sydney, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Very that nice. crazy flooding, it looks like, that you guys have yes. been having. So, yeah, right. luckily not where I am, but yeah, all okay. over this my state, actually. So, Well, I'm sure if the sun is out today that you're um, appreciating that. So um, thanks for taking the time out and sharing the journey. I learned a lot. And uh, for everyone tuning in, thanks for tuning in. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform 
And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.